Jesus has done more than anyone has ever done to bring purity and harmony between men and women. So this morning I want to illustrate this truth beginning with our text and then showing the, the same thing in other parts of Jesus' teaching in other Gospels. Now firstly, a woman was in the synagogue on the day of the Sabbath. She was bent over and could not stand up. She had been this way for 18 years and Jesus was in the synagogue teaching on that day. Now, what happens here is quite amazing. Jesus doesn't interview this woman about her disease or about her ailment. And she does not ask Jesus to heal her. Verses 12 and 13 simply say, And when Jesus saw her, he called her over to, and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your infirmity. And he laid hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and praised God. She asked for nothing. She promised nothing. She didn't corner Jesus, you know, get him in the corner of the church and say, you know, do something. She had, she had not forced his hand. She could have, uh, Jesus himself could have just finished his lesson and gone home and no one would have even thought about this woman. However, he stopped. He called her. He took the initiative and made an issue of this woman. So Jesus is on the offensive here. He has something he wants to say. He wants to say something about the Sabbath day and what it means to keep it holy. He has something he wants to say about the hypocrisy of the synagogue leaders. Men who will water their oxen or water their donkey on the Sabbath but get all twisted and bent out of shape at Jesus healing a woman on the Sabbath. And so he has something to say that he wants to say here about women and men as well. It's the second to last verse that I want us to be concerned with this morning. Verse 16. This is the key verse for our message this morning. And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? If the only point Jesus wanted to make was doing good on the Sabbath or to point out the hypocrisy of the leaders of the synagogue, he could simply have said, and ought not this woman whom, the, whom Satan bound for 18 years long be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? But that's not all he said. What did he call her? A daughter of Abraham. He called her a daughter of Abraham. He said, ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, be loosed from this bond? And so the message of Jesus to the synagogue leaders was a message not only about their Sabbath keeping and not only about their hypocrisy, but also about how men and women ought to relate to each other as fellow heirs of God's promises. He is saying to the men of the synagogue and he's saying to the men of the church today, I believe women in our midst, the women in our midst are heirs and promises of God. They too are the meek who will inherit the earth. They too are the righteous who will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. 
So do you see what this means for us as men and women today, as husbands and wives, as brothers and sisters, all of us, as we relate to each other as men and women? It means we should learn to look at each other as, as through the lens of God's word. And here's what I mean. This woman in the synagogue has been bent over for 18 years. What would that be like? It would be horrible. People would stare. In ancient times, people, people thought that uh, if you had an ailment or something like that or, or, or a disease, that you had committed some sort of terrible sin. Perhaps children and teenagers made jokes and laughed. Um, and, you, you know, and there's all sorts of crazy things. People didn't know how to make conversation. And you, you know, how would you have an intimate relationship with your husband? You'd feel like you're an embarrassment and everyone you're with would probably uh, have some sort of you know, issue. So what do we see when we look at this woman? If you were a husband... What would you see? Now, let's get real. Let's get a little bit deeper. Husbands, what do you see when you look at your wives? Now, that's a really good question, isn't it? And the answer, of course, depends on which lens that you're using. What you see will be very different depending on whether you look through the lens of what this world sees as a woman or what God what God's Word sees as a woman. If you look through the lens of God's Word, you will see what? A daughter of Abraham. Seeing women the way Jesus saw this woman in the synagogue as heirs to the glory of the King. And that will be a deep, that will have deep effect, a deep effect on our relationships. Of course, this cuts both ways. Women are just as likely to be disappointed with their husbands as, as men are to be disappointed with their wives. Women are just as prone to speak negatively about their husbands. Women are just as prone to try and get their husbands to be all the things that they dream to be. And therefore it's probably, it probably needs to be said that women too must learn to look at men through the lens of God's word. He is a son of Abraham as a believer of Christ. He will one day shine like the sun in the kingdom of his father. With all his imperfections, he will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Every sin will be gone forever and he will receive a body like Christ's glorious body. Now ladies, you missed a really good point and a good opportunity to say amen, hallelujah there. <laughs> you really did. <laughs> I understand that as far as receiving the glorious body goes, I understand you're able to pick your own model. Yeah? I'm going to pick the Arnold Schwarzenegger model. <laughs> My wife Giselle calls that the God body. <laughs> joking aside. Okay, joking aside. All seriousness. We will, in the coming age, be dumbfounded as we look back at how poorly we were able to treat each other on the way to glory. Can I say that again? Because it's powerful. It's powerful. We will be dumbfounded. In the age to come, we will be dumbfounded as we look back at how poorly we were able to treat each other on the way to glory. There is an honour 
and respect and even reverence that we should show to each other as men and women. How much happier would our homes be if they were filled with expressions of this honour? How much happier would our church be if it were filled with the, with, with the expressions of this honour? And they, were, they, they, and they will be filled with, with these ex- expressions to the degree that we learn to look at each other through the lens of God's word this morning. As daughters and sons of Abraham, as heirs of all God's promises, as destined together for that unspeakable glory. Secondly, now that's the sort of thing Jesus did to help recover what God created us to be as male and female in the image of God. Genesis tells us that in Genesis 1.27, for God created humans to be like himself. He made men and women. And he did that again and again. And in fact, he's still doing it. He's still making men and women. So let's take all this a little deeper this morning. Let's look at a few illustrations of how Jesus helps us to recover the purity and the harmony of how men and women should relate to one another. In Matthew 5, 28, 29, Jesus says, But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For if... For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. Now, with that one word, or that one phrase, one Jesus condemned the most forceful, in the most forceful way possible using the threat of hell all to, to, to come against all forms of objectification, and all forms of objectification for gratification. And the entire enterprise or commercialization of the female body in advertising and in entertainment. He did that in one hit with the threat of hell. So can you imagine how much wrath is being stored up in heaven against the billion dollar businesses for doing precisely what the Son of God prohibits? Namely, enticing men to look at women with sexual desire or as, as, not as persons, but as objects of sexual pleasure alone. And the opposite is true, albeit in a much lesser way, but still storing up the wrath of God. And what is clear from Matthew 5.28 is that Jesus needs to rescue women from the attack on their personhood. Men who follow Jesus guard their eyes for the good of women, and for the glory of God. And women who follow Jesus look to Jesus and not to the world. In Matthew seven twelve, Jesus said, In everything do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. So relationships between men and women are not excluded here. We ought to treat one another the way we want to be treated in someone else's shoes. It's hard to say something more radical than this this morning. Relationships are revolutionised when two people live by this golden rule. 
The reason is that it's so revolutionary is because you and I, by nature, have an all-consuming desire to be treated well by other people. Nobody in this room likes to be made fun of. Nobody wants to be ignored and treated like a, a useless person. Nobody wants to be exploited this morning or taken advantage of. So that means that if everybody in this room lived by the golden rule of Jesus, nobody would be made fun of or any, by any other person here. Nobody would be treated uh, by another person like she, he or she is useless. Nobody would be taken advantage of by anybody else. The measure of our love for our own happiness would be the measure of how we would be eagerly pursuing the happiness of others. It would be utterly, utterly revolutionary, especially in marriages and relationships between men and women in general. And that is what Jesus commands. That is what Jesus has commanded. Thirdly, the most devastating thing Jesus ever said against characteristic male and female sins was the words in Matthew 18, 3-4. Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So, men who act like bullies and women who play the hopeless flatterer are not childlike. They're childish. Genuine childlikeness and humility, like everything Jesus taught, is revolutionary, especially within relationships between men and women. The other thing that's revolutionary about the call to follow Jesus is a call to leadership. A call to leadership. If you are a Jesus follower, you are called to leadership. It's easy to come and sit, be entertained without having any real uh, investment and service in church community. It's easy to do that. But Jesus isn't here for our entertainment. Jesus isn't here for our amusement. The Holy Spirit isn't here for our entertainment or amusement. Jesus didn't die so we could experience a cool PowerPoint presentation. Faith this morning is not a spectator sport. Christian men and women don't wait on the sidelines when there is work to be done. They realise that Jesus didn't save them from something, but that he saved us for something. God has a mission, and his church and his people are part of that mission. So being a leader isn't just about standing on the stage and preaching a sermon to a room full of people. You don't have to lead worship or even be in the spotlight. You don't have to go to Bible college and be trained to know the right answers. All you have to do to be a leader in the Christian church is follow Jesus. That's Christian leadership this morning, following Jesus. We all have people in our lives who follow our example. Everyone in this room is a leader. We all have people in our lives that follow our example, our children, our grandchildren, our friends, our co-workers. We all have areas of influence, which means we all have opportunities. The leadership is not easy. It's especially difficult when we lack confidence. But our confidence, our faith, our hope, isn't in us. 
It's in who Jesus is. And that and what he has done for us. That's where our confidence, faith and hope and our life exist. In Jesus and what he has done for us. But here's the key thing. Jesus purges Christian leadership of everything that makes it ugly. And he builds into Christian leadership what makes it beautiful. He purges from it self-acclamation. And he builds into it the reality of servanthood. He says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. That's the... That's the end of arrogance this morning. That's the, that's the end of self-exaltation uh, in Christian leadership. And he says, whoever would be great amongst you must be your servant. That's the key to beautiful leadership that builds up others this morning. Too often we walk through life thinking only of ourselves. And maybe our close bubble of friends and family. But the great leaders... The great Christian leaders think of people who are outside their circle. So why do good leaders do that? Because the more we think of others, the more considerate of them we naturally become. Jesus elevated the concept of servanthood, but he didn't cancel out the concept of leadership. And that brings us back full circle, back to our text. And when Jesus saw her, he called her and said to her, Woman, you are free from your infirmity. And he laid hands on her and immediately she was made straight and praised God. You are free. She asked for nothing. She promised nothing. She didn't corner Jesus. She you didn't force his hand. It was Jesus who took the initiative and it was Jesus who showed honour in leadership. It wasn't the duplicitous... So, uh, uh, synagogue leaders they were more worried about their rules and their preferences to be worried about this daughter uh, of Abraham or son of Abraham even it, would, it could have been anybody but they were too worried about their rules and their preferences and in verse 16 it says and ought not this woman a daughter of Abraham whom Satan bound for 18 long years be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day Let's not descend into the example of the synagogue leaders, my friends, because Jesus shows us by this example how men and women should treat each other, how people should act towards each other, and how people should think of each other, even if those people are frustrating, even if those people bother you the most. Now, don't point at anyone. Okay? <laughs> Jesus gave himself as an example for what he said at his lowest point of servanthood, with a towel wrapped around him, he washed his disciples' feet like a slave on his knees. No one in that room doubted who the leader was. He was the one they followed. Yet he was on his knees as a slave. Servanthood does not nullify or cancel leadership. It transforms it. And when Jesus hung on the cross... Seemingly weak and utterly helpless, he was leading a great host to glory. Leading a great host to glory. The language of leadership is the language of responsibility this morning. It's not the language of rights. 
It's not the language of preferences. It's not the language of, of, of privilege. It's not the language of control. It's the language of honour. It's the language of putting yourself in other people's shoes. Please pray with me. Father, give me eyes to see those I need to touch and bless with your grace. Even as I come into this place to worship you. And I pray this in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.